Well, we are so proud of all the graduates, uh, but particularly our three that we have here, uh, and you too, Luke. And I do want to know what you didn't like for lunch. Evidently, nothing. Uh, welcome to Renovation Church this morning. I know many of you are new faces. That's so great to us that you have chosen to come here. Well, we know there's tons of churches up and down the Strand, and you could have gone to any one of them, but for whatever reason, we think, maybe the Holy Spirit, you've chosen to come here today. So welcome, welcome, welcome. We at Renovation Church work through Scripture, and uh, since we opened our doors the 23rd of uh, January in 2011, We've been working through the book of Matthew, and right before Easter, we finished up um, most of Matthew 17, three years later. Uh, We had one little section of Scripture at the end of Matthew 17 that I wasn't able to complete before Easter, and I promised you last week that we wouldn't let that slide. We we don't want to skip any verse. We want to do every verse, so we've got to go back and pick up. This before we start our new series for the summer next week. So I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. Uh, In this church, we do believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard that we have for our faith and for our life. We believe strongly in the authority of Scripture. So listen, if you will, to God's word. Matthew 17, uh, 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you that your word is proclaimed here and always will be. I thank you that your word is never changing, ever true. I thank you that even when we have a story such as this that seems to... uh, not fit anywhere, that there is a purpose behind it. So open our eyes, open our hearts to understand um, the meaning and the purpose behind Matthew seventeen twenty four through 27. May we be enlightened today. May we be able to apply what we hear here in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Well, Jesus had told the disciples, if you recall, back in Matthew chapter 4 and in the other Gospels as well, that, that these disciples were going to be, as he called them, he said, you're going to be fishers of men. But he, he never told them that they were going to be fishers of money. This was a whole new experience. And I've got to level with you. This is one of the most peculiar little pieces of Scripture that I find in the whole Bible. As I said in that, in that prayer, it just doesn't seem to fit. It just doesn't seem to make much sense at first glance. Why is it here? What is its purpose and what is its meaning? What on earth does it mean to us? To make that a little more understandable, I broke it down into three parts. And if you have one of those handouts, you see that there's three parts. That would be part one and part two and part three. And each one of those starts with uh, PD to help us remember them a little bit more. So the first part is this, the payment demanded. The payment demanded. We'll go back and read 17, uh, 24 through the first part of 25. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, remember this is, this is the place that uh, uh, Jesus had taken as his uh, adopted home, Capernaum on the north part of the Sea of Galilee. It happened to be the place where Peter lived as well. Um, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does. He, that's Peter, replied. What they're talking about here is when the tabernacle was built back in the, in the wilderness, when the Israelites were still wandering, God had set out a provision, given it to Moses, for taking care of this tabernacle, this tent of meeting that, that he had prescribed that they would use for worship. And this prescription from God was to provide for the maintenance and the operation of the temple. And he said that every uh, male 20 years old and older should contribute to this temple upkeep, if you will. Uh, if, we, if we go down to uh, Exodus chapter 30, verses 14 through 16, you can actually see the this, this statement. All who cross over those 20 years old or more are to give an offering to the Lord. The rich are not to give more than a half shekel and the poor are not to give less than you make the uh, less when you make the offering to the Lord to atone for your lives. Receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. So it was a half shekel that was the Jewish Currency. It was a half shekel, and it was to be taken from every male. You women were off the hook. Every male from 20 years of age and older. Well, we've got two different amounts that they're talking about here, and it's probably worth mentioning why. Uh, in, in the Matthew scripture, we see a two drachma coin, two drachma tax. Uh, and in Exodus, it's half shekel. It's the same quantity. Drachma was the Greek coin that the Romans were still using in Jerusalem at the time. 
uh, shekel was the Jewish currency, and it had long been said that only shekels could be used to, as an offering or uh, to pay any taxes to the to the temple or to the tabernacle. So that's what those two are. An important thing to remember is that a half shekel was about two days' wages. So you can kind of see how much emphasis they're putting on the um, payment of this upkeep for the temple. Two days' wages that you would give. Now, it would appear from that Exodus passage that I uh, read to you that the tax was assessed one time for everybody. And after that, those that would become 20 years of age would pay the tax. That's, that's the way I read that Exodus uh, verse, the uh, verses that I just uh, read to you. Beyond that first assessment, then, it seems that they were voluntary, that the temple taxes were, were voluntary. And nothing was said in there about it being paid annually. Nothing at all. But from Jewish writings that we have, we're able to see that we find that rabbis had exempted themselves from the tax. Priests in the temple had exempted themselves from the tax. The Sadducees, remember we have two groups, Sadducees and Pharisees, and they hate one another. They, they don't agree about anything uh, except getting rid of Jesus. That's the only thing they could agree about. Politics makes strange bedfellows. And the Sadducees disapproved of the tax totally. And there was a group of men down in the desert close to... Uh, uh, the Dead Sea at Qumran, who were called the Essenes. And the Essenes were a zealous group of men that uh, spent their entire lives copying scriptures. That's where the Dead Sea Scrolls came from, by the way. Copying scriptures. And they had decided that they would pay it one time and one time only when they turned 20. Beyond that, they would never pay the tax. By the time that Jesus came along, Jewish law mandated that the tax would be paid. And it must be paid by the time of Passover. Now that doesn't seem significant, but it is significant in where we are in our timeline of Jesus' ministry. Because the temple would send out tax collectors about two months prior to Passover to start collecting the money so that by Passover all the taxes would be in. So we know that we're within that two-month window of when Passover would happen. Why is Passover so important? That's when Jesus was crucified at Passover. So we're about two months from that in the timeline of, of where his ministry uh, is taking place. It was those collectors who approached Peter and said, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Kind of a strange out-of-the-way out question. Now, we don't have any evidence to prove the point, but I personally believe by the way they phrase that, that it suggests that these collectors that were sent were sent by the leaders at the temple in Jerusalem. And they were sent specifically to challenge Jesus and maybe to cause him to... Uh, make a mistake maybe in his words or his actions. Perhaps because he had claimed to be the Messiah, they already had an idea that, well, 
he must consider himself exempt from the tax as well, which they didn't think he was. And that would make just one more charge that they could levy upon him as he entered Jerusalem in two months. So the payment was demanded. The second part is this. The principle is discussed. Reading on in Matthew 17:25, when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them. What do you think? What do you think Peter was thinking? We're not told specifically what his thoughts were. But from Jesus' comments there, it seems reasonable to infer that what was what he was wondering about Jesus was, hey, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Why would you, why would you possibly pay the taxes? That doesn't make sense to me because the people who are collecting taxes are the people that you have sovereign reign over. It doesn't make sense. And Jesus, as he often does in his teaching, taught through questions. You see, he was a recent Alpha graduate, so he knew you were supposed to ask questions. And he uh, cornered Simon and said, What do you think, Simon? How do you feel about that, Simon? From whom did the kings of the earth collect duties and taxes? From their own sons or from others? Who do they collect taxes from? Now, with very few exceptions, and I, I honestly could not think of a single exception when I wrote this. With very few exceptions, all of the ancient governments were autocratic. In other words, one person was in charge. He was the ruler, whatever that ruler was called, and his power was passed along to his son or somebody else in the family. There was a family lineage going on there. I, it doesn't matter whether they were called pharaohs or emperors or, or princes or governors or whatever. All supreme rulers were included in this term that Jesus used, kings, the kings. And they all assessed taxes for their families, to help support them, and to support the governments that they ran. Jesus' question, therefore, was a rhetorical question because everybody there knew the answer before the words even came out of his mouth. I mean, think about it. It, it just wouldn't make any logical sense for a father to collect money from his son and the son's dependent on the father. It'd be like the father was assessing taxes on himself. How crazy would that be? The others here must refer to those outside of the ruler's family, those people who were not a part of the royal uh, family or whatever we call it. And in human uh, governments of that day and, and really today, the, the ruler's family uh, are all exempt from taxation. It's just the way it happens. And if there was 
<clears throat> any tax at all that Jesus should not have been obligated to pay, it would have been the temple tax. Why do I say that? Because he was the one whom the temple was built to honor. He was the one to whom the sacrifices and offerings were made. He was the Lord of all the earth, and he was supremely the Lord of the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus called that place, that temple, his father's house. And he described himself a little bit uh, before this in Matthew 12, he described himself as greater than the temple. He had every right to refuse paying those taxes. Every right. But, but when he willingly emptied himself of his glory, his divine glory, as we read in Philippians 2, it says, taking the very nature of a servant, becoming or being made in human likeness. When he did that, he also willingly relinquished his rights and his prerogatives of that glory. He no longer had those rights. And then we see this strange little phrase that I ended with, but so that we may not offend them, Jesus told Peter, the tax was to be paid. The tax was to be paid. Jesus would pay the tax in order not to cause offense. Remember, the disciples had approached him earlier back in Matthew 15. And they wanted to remind him that he had offended the Pharisees when the Pharisees were talking about what is clean and what is unclean. Jesus, do you know that you offended the Pharisees when you said that? Like it mattered. Please hear me through this little section here. Please hear what I'm saying. A right understanding of the Bible matters. Matters greatly. I said in this church we believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God, which we do. We have people, we've had people down through the ages that don't believe that all of it's true. I mean, some of this you can't believe. Some of it applies just to... Just to us today, we, we, uh, matter of fact, you know, that whole section back here <clears throat> that we call the Old Testament, I mean, that really doesn't apply to me. So why don't we just tear that out and throw it away and we'll just go on to the New Testament. You can't do that. We either believe the whole thing's true or none of it's true. We can't pick and choose which. If I was picking, if I were picking and choosing which parts I would throw out, I mean, the part that's the most hard for me to believe is that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Have you ever met anybody that was resurrected from the dead? And if I throw that part out, we have nothing at all. We have nothing at all. So we can't go through, start saying, oh, I believe this. This is relevant for me. No, this is relevant for you, but you don't have to believe this because I believe this. We can't do that. And I'm not saying that as we go through the rest of this little section here. But in cases where the issue is unimportant, as taxes might be, 
I guess it depends on how much taxes you owe, right? <laughs> uh, the right procedure is to act as not to cause offense to the other people. I think we've got we to consider these words very carefully, this but so that we may not offend them. Why is that in there? Apply those to our duties as citizens of this community. Apply those words to our duties as partners in this church. Apply those words to our duties as uh, a part of society. We don't have to approve of all of the laws in the country in order to obey them. If we were to take a poll here, I bet every one of you can think of a law that you really don't agree with. But we have to obey it because it's the law. We don't have to approve of everything our local church or our local denomination does in order to support it. And there may be things that our neighbors do that we strongly disagree with. But we should over, we should often overlook such things in order not to set up some unnecessary barrier to our being able to share the gospel with them at some point in the future. We could ruin the whole thing with two or three words out of our mouth if we're not very careful. Our motto here at this church is belonging before believing. And we fervently believe that. Everybody belongs here. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they're from. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they're dressed. Let them come in drunk. It doesn't matter. If they're not inside these doors, they're never going to hear God's word. It's hard to hear me in the parking lot. It's hard to hear me as you're driving through the drive-thru over here at McDonald's or riding up 17. But if you're in here, you might hear something that we say, and it might just click. Belonging before believing. Let's love them. It may, be, it may sound fine, and it may seem very heroic to be always standing our ground tenaciously, Staking out our claim to our pious rights. You know what I mean. But there are occasions when it shows more grace as a Christ follower to submit rather than to resist. I'm not talking about giving up. I'm not talking about throwing out the Bible. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just saying there are times that it's more... It's wiser to submit to that than to resist it. The time will come later. And I think Jesus' implication here with this, this little story was that the tax not only was to be paid and paid in full, but it was to be paid willingly and it was to be paid without any sort of argument. Just do it, Peter. Do it. If the Son of God claimed no exemption for himself in paying of taxes, 
And who was he paying those taxes to? He was paying those taxes to a den of thieves, he said, uh, run by the wicked false teachers of the temple. If, if the Son of God claimed no exemption in paying his taxes, how much less can we as Christ followers claim exemption for the same? I told you uh, last week, kind of kidding, that I, I was good, really going to search the Scripture and see if there was any loophole for us. And uh, I didn't come up with a single loophole for us not to pay our taxes. Sorry. If you were waiting for that, then you can go ahead and leave because I, I could not find anything that would give us that, uh, that out. See, we don't always get to do what we want to do. We have to do what's right. I heard about this man who had refused to pay his taxes for several years, five years, ten years, I don't know what. And one night he went to a church service, and at that evening service he gave his life to Christ. And immediately the Holy Spirit started convicting him about this tax situation. And he wasn't able from that point on to get a single good night's sleep. He kept waking up or staying awake, couldn't get those taxes off of his mind. So he wrote a letter to the IRS, and it went something like this. Dear sirs, I know that I owe back taxes, but you see, I recently became a Christian, and now I cannot sleep at all for thinking about it. So... You will find enclosed a check for $5,000. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) We don't really want to do it, but it's what we have to do, you know? We have no right to consider exempting ourselves from paying taxes to the government. I do believe in my heart of hearts that Jesus thought that the temple tax was improper. I think he would read that Exodus scripture as as I read it, that it was not for all times. But, you know, when, when government or when leadership gets their teeth into you in terms of taxes, they don't turn loose. I mean, it's there, you know. They're not going to give up that grip. It only gets more and more. This may have been a small part of what Jesus had against the temple as a whole and why he wanted to clean it out and, and, and straighten it up. Beautiful and holy as the temple was, it had become, as he said, a den of thieves. A den of thieves. And God's judgment was hanging over the temple by a thread. But... Before too long, remember, we're two months out from his final trip to Jerusalem. Before too long, he would be in the temple itself, turning over those tables and spilling coins to the right and to the left. But for the moment, it was best that he not raise the alarm, that he not let word get out, that that his kingdom movement was indeed aimed at challenging the authorities in the temple and overthrowing them if need be. So the payment was demanded. The principle had been discussed. So how was the tax to be paid? 
How was that tax to be paid? That's part three. Part three is the provision delivered. It ends up in 1727. Go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch. Isn't that interesting? Evidently, he knew Peter was going to catch a lot of fish. He just told him to take the first fish that he caught. Open his mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Here's another amount. Four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. There's, there's no evidence that I can find in Scripture that, that Jesus ever provided uh, money for anything or money for taxes at any other place other than right here in this one uh, Scripture passage. He wasn't in the miracle business of snapping his fingers and the money would fall out of the sky for whatever they needed. It just didn't work that way. He instructed Peter, go to the lake and throw out your line. Some of you guys in here are fishermen. Was there a hook on the line? Well, in the NIV, it doesn't say anything about a hook. In some of the other translations, if you have a different translation you're looking at here... A hook is mentioned. He says, throw your hook into the water. So, okay, I'll give him that. that it may, there may have been a hook. What kind of bait was he using? That's kind of important, isn't it? He doesn't say anything about bait. We just don't know those things. I mean, I want to know those things. I want to know what kind of bait I need to throw into the water to get fish with coins in its mouth. The coin. The coin was the exact amount to pay the temple tax for both Jesus and Peter. It was four drachmas or one shekel. And remember, a half shekel is the prescribed amount for each man. So if you got a whole shekel, that's for two men. Okay, here, here's the big idea for today. A Christ follower is obligated to fulfill his duties as a citizen of the world. Pretty straightforward. I mean, there's nothing profound about that at all. A Christ follower is obligated to fulfill his duties as a citizen of the world. His, his ultimate and eternal citizenship is in heaven. But while he remains here on earth, the Christ follower is to be under obligation to the human governments of this earth. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote about this too. Same sort of issue, even in spite of the godlessness that was, was Rome, was all of the Roman Empire. And even in spite of the, the Caesar who claimed to be God himself, he had the people, you know, worship him. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote, Romans 13, beginning at chapter, uh, verse 1. And this is from the message translation. A good, be a good citizen. All governments are under God. Insofar as there is peace and order, it's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen. If you're irresponsible to the state, then you're irresponsible with God. And God will hold you responsible. We think we have to answer to the law authorities 
There's a higher authority that we're going to have to answer to. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get by with something. This is Paul talking now. Evidently, he knew how we were today. Decent citizens should have nothing to fear. That's why you pay taxes, Paul says, so that an orderly way of life can be maintained. Fulfill your obligations as a citizen. Pay your taxes. Pay your bills. Respect your leaders. You see, Christ followers should have a genuine attitude of respect for the, for the local government, for the human governments, whoever they might be. Not because those governments deserve our respect, but because it's the will of the Lord, our Lord, who created those governments in the first place for our benefit. The early church didn't start an insurrection against Rome because of its, its uh, ungodliness, because uh, Caesar claimed to be God. The early church didn't start a campaign against slavery, wicked and cruel as both of those things actually are. In fact, the Holy Spirit took the very words of slavery Slave, bond slave, bond servant, bondage, servant, servanthood, all of those terms. The Holy Spirit took those words of slavery and made them the very symbols of Christian dedication and submission. Those are the terms we use to describe ourselves today as Christians, as Christ followers. In his all-knowing sovereignty, God used those pagan Romans to spread the Greek language, the language that the New Testament was written in, all over the known world at that time. God had the Romans build the roads. The roads ran from one side of the Roman Empire to the other side. You could go anywhere on those roads. They weren't mud streets with ruts in them. Those were paved roads that are still there today if you visit that area. They're still, many of them are still right in place. Some are even paved over and used today as highways. And over those roads went the messengers carrying the good news of the kingdom to the very ends of the known world at that time. And because it was a Roman empire and those were Roman roads, the messengers were kept safe. How about that? God protected them. The Romans, God had the Romans protect them. They didn't have to worry about ambush or thieves or any of that. The Romans were protecting everybody that was traveling on the Roman roads. That's God's way. You see, we're not citizens of of this earth. We're citizens of heaven, and we're subjects of the kingdom of God. I I just got back from London a couple of uh, weeks ago, and and I bought myself something while it's in London. I hope you don't mind my sharing it with you. This is uh, this is what I bought. You know him. 
You know him? No. What's his name? I hear Paddington. Well, Paddington Bear. Where's he from? Ah, oh, was that a tough question? Well, you're, you're kind of right. He, he was found at the train station, Paddington Station in London, by Mr. and Mrs. Brown, who were there to pick up their daughter at the train station. And they saw this bear wandering around. And he had this little tag around his neck that said, Paddington Bear. Paddington was his destination on the trip. Bear just described him. As I look out at you today, I see name tags around everybody's neck that say earth, human, Paddington, bear. He was from Peru, by the way. He was from from Peru. I haven't read far enough to find out how he got there. <laughs> yeah, somebody else said that. He was, he was made in China. Uh, on the back side of the tag, it says, please look after this bear. Thank you. And we're sent here with a tag around our neck that says, please look after me. Please look after me. And we're supposed to look after one another. We're not citizens of this place. We're not staying here. We're going home, and home is heaven. While we are here, we are expected to do some things, though, to change some of our ways. Paddington Bear had to take a bath because he had marmalade all over him. Sticky, gooey marmalade. He had to have his clothes washed. Paddington Bear had to learn how to eat with manners at the table. Paddington Bear had to take a nap when it was time to take a nap. Paddington Bear had to become a member of the Brown family. We're expected to perform in the same way as citizens of this earth. But this isn't our home. We're just here for a short while. The Christ followers being a citizen of God's kingdom doesn't exempt him from the responsibility to that human kingdom. In, in fact, if, if a Christ follower is a good citizen, he has special obligations to that kingdom in which he's living, to that government under which he is controlled. Because you know what? That was also instituted by God. When it comes to seeing that testimony that we play out in, in, as our citizen, as we are citizens here in this, on this earth, the world that's out there looking at us is compelled to consider what kind of power makes it possible for that person to love me 
as I am right now. I'm so unlovable. What compels that person to reach out to me even when I turn my back on them? What compels that person? Time after time after time to forgive me for the things that I do to them. And although the government doesn't do much that we like, it does do some things that, that profit us. Our taxes support the armed forces, and they keep the peace. Our, our taxes support the courts that administer justice. Our federal taxes maintain national parks, pay for food inspectors, fund the FBI, support air traffic controllers, maintain the highway system, and undergird some of our education. Our state taxes support state universities, maintain state highways, pay for the state court system. Our local taxes provide for city and county schools, fund our firefighters, our policemen, our first responders. Taxes make it possible for a stable society to go out and share the gospel to the world. Why is this story included in here? It's a, I told you, a peculiar little story. Just a strange thing. It seems so out of place. And I don't know that you could put it in any place that it would be in place. For, for one thing, Matthew's telling the story. Matthew's a tax collector. So anything about taxes is going to be near and dear to his heart. No other gospel writer said a word about this. Only Matthew. And I, I can't imagine that he was the only one there that heard what was going on. Well, what's missing in this story? As I read this story, I want the end of it, and I feel like I haven't gotten the end yet. Matthew doesn't say, So Peter went off and caught a fish and found the coin just as Jesus had said. We don't know whether there was a coin in the fish's mouth or not. We don't know whether Peter even caught a fish or not. It doesn't tell us. And, and in other places, they're so quick to tell us all the details, but there's no details given here. We're left to speculate whether Peter really did get the fish with the coin in its mouth or whether this was some sort of private joke between him and Jesus sort of saying, Peter, go out and out there and catch some fish, uh, sell the fish and give this man his money so he get off our backs. We don't know. It reminds me of the parables that Jesus tells where he has the story and he doesn't explain the story to the people that are listening. And they're sent away just wondering, oh, well, what was that? What was that about? The point here isn't that Jesus had the power to make a coin appear in a fish's mouth, which he did. The point isn't that Jesus is simply a good citizen, and because he's a good citizen, we ought to be a good citizen too, which we should. The point, I believe, is this, that Jesus is a master strategist. He himself was as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. As we were looking at in our last series before Easter, time is of 
the essence. Every single word out of his mouth, every action that he makes from now until these two months months have passed in his ministry timeline, every second is important. But now was not the time. Galilee, Capernaum specifically, was not the place. And this minor tax collector was not the person for Jesus' major protest to be made. The, t- the hour has not yet come. Starting next week, our series will be Caution, Danger Ahead as he launches out toward Jerusalem. We'll see what kind of danger, what kind of pitfalls, what kind of traps are set for him as he heads to the cross. Caution, danger ahead.